This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. having a panic attack because I've had a Bible stolen before. Could you believe that? I was in Bible college and I had this little Bible that was awesome. I love this Bible. I took it with me everywhere. And somebody, how do you know, Tim? Listen, somebody took, they stole my Bible. They opened it up. They saw my name, Timothy Warholic. They ripped out the name page and then they noticed that when I signed it, I, I pressed hard because I'm pretty strong. And it went through onto the, you know, the, the card stock underneath it. And they saw that you could still see my name. So they took something and scratched it out. And I found it at the end of the mic. I said, hey, listen, if you need a Bible, just let me know, okay? You know, we get close to our Bibles. Anyway, it was probably just a mistake. Please pray for the restoration of my Bible. I'm not distracted at all. All right, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. We are going to be starting our last series through 1 Corinthians of real church. So the big picture is we're talking about 1 Corinthians real church. If you look at the Corinthian church, they everybody had issues, everybody had problems, but the Corinthians, they were special people. And we liken the church in Corinth to the church in Las Vegas because we're also special people. We go through struggles, we have questions, we work through things, that's fine. But I have a, a proposition for you. I talk to the Lord and we're going to give extra treasure in heaven, like extra credit treasure in heaven. If you can name without looking at your notes and nobody from the first service, if you can name what the title of our first series was as we are starting in 1 Corinthians. Anybody? That was a long time ago. That's tough, huh? Real wisdom. Remember, real church is 1 Corinthians, and we started with Paul talking about real wisdom. What was the second series that we went through in 1 Corinthians? Anybody remember? Real sexuality, which was applicable and needed. The next study that we went through, the third, anybody want to take a shot? There were people at least trying in the first service. I'm just going to say that. You can't say that. I just said you couldn't say that. You're off the team. Get out of here. <laughs> the third was real commitment. Real commitment. Anybody for the fourth? The fourth was the last one we went through. So I hope that somebody can remember what the fourth series. Do you know what a series is, right? It means we were talking about it for four weeks. It was a four-part series. What was it? Real behavior how you should be behaving in the church. And then we're starting the last series, a three-part series entitled Real Hope. I want to just encourage you guys, don't feel bad that you don't remember. I am serious. I'm not, there's no joking here. I have a hard time remembering what I had for lunch yesterday. Nobody else, just me? And I was talking to a couple pastors yesterday. We'd got together with some pastors and um, we were talking about this thing of like remembering how can we really help people 
uh, help, you know, because it's one thing for you guys to study the scriptures and, and memorize scriptures. How can we help facilitate you to retain uh, God's word? And, and he was saying, well, you know, like I, I, we forget like week to week. And I said, so do I. And I can't remember what I taught three weeks ago. So I've got notes on it, though, anyway. So don't feel too bad. Real Hope is starting today. It's a three-part series. This first, the title of this first message, if you're taking notes, you can jot down some of these other things I'm going to be talking about, is received hope. So there's a received hope. The next message is going to be resurrection hope. Spoiler alert, it's about the resurrection. Number three is restorative hope. Restoration or restorative hope. And I don't typically do this, but I'm doing this uh, this time for this series um, received hope in first Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 uh, our theme verse for the next four weeks and, and because we're going to take a little break but I'll t- talk to you guys about that later um, our theme verse is verse 19 in chapter 15 so you can jot that down and consider it and we'll throw it up on the screen there for you. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If we in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Isn't that true? But what happened in the church in Corinth is that, that they had they'd gotten so much into the day-to-day and hope for life that they, that they had written off eternity, so to speak, in that, that there were people teaching that there was no more resurrection from the dead. And Paul's going to address it, and he's going to be firm with them. But really what we're talking about, we're talking about the resurrection as a whole for the next you know, few studies, but also the, the undercurrent or the undertone really is this hope that we should be having. You guys like hope? You should be wanting to hear about hope. You know why? Because you need hope. And I need hope. Especially in this world that is hopeless, we need hope. We need God to transfer that hope that that we know that he wants to give us and manifest it in our lives. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer for our study. Father God, we thank you so much for the hope that we've received and, and we need to be defined sometimes. We need to be reminded of. We need to be encouraged in because we are in a hopeless time. Sometimes it seems, God. We don't want to be identified with you, identified as your people, as your children, but then on the outward appearance, lacking hope. We need you to give us that hope, Father. We need you to remind us over the next few weeks, encourage us, that our response to you would be blessed, that you would be blessed by your people bolstering hope to go out and give it to others. Father, we thank you for our worship team and that time that we could have to offer you the fruit of our lips in worship, God. We thank you for this time that we get to study your word and be instructed and encouraged in your word as a form of worship. And God, we pray that you bless the tithes and the offerings today that we offer in worship to you. For you alone are worthy to be honored and praised. Bless your word now, Father, we pray in this study. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
If in this life only, verse 19 again, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. I think something that we could have done, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, but what, something that I've, I've, I've noticed that we could have done is that we could have switched the problems of the Corinthians. And, and this, is, this applies to us, but, but on the, the reverse. That instead of being confident in, in the hope that we have today, in the hope of our days, or what we want to place you know, in the hope for today, we kind of forget about the hope of the future. And we talk about the hope of tomorrow. And when we present the gospel, when we share the gospel, a lot of times, and I think I've mentioned this recently, it, it is in, in, it packaged in us being happy for all eternity. You know, like you're going to go to heaven. That's why you need to accept Jesus. And we forget about, we don't meditate on the, the reality that God wants us to have hope for today, too, for tomorrow, for this life, for now. That eternal life starts now. Take note of this if you're taking notes and jot a few of these down if they pertain to you. Hope is often connected. Hope is often connected to good news. You hear some kind of good news and it gives you some kind of hope, some kind of expectation for the future, some kind of desire to look forward to, right? You make the varsity team at school or the drama club, and, and you get this hope of, of what this semester is going to look like, what this year is going to look like. And you're going to do good. Your team's going to win. You get that acceptance letter from that college that, that you really want to go to, and, and, and you have hope of what your future looks like, whether it's one semester, a year, or four years, or whatever your degree looks like. And then you get the offer for that career, that job that you, that you really want and you've been praying for. And then when you receive that, there's this hope that starts to boil up inside of what could be. What's your future going to be like? What's the expectation? And then he or she says, yes, or I do. And you get to start your life with somebody and you don't know what it's going to look like in the future, but, it, but you know it's going to be good. And then you get the, the positive pregnancy test and you think, my kids are going to be the best kids on planet Earth. Nobody is going to hold a candle to my kids, which is what every parent thinks, by the way. Or the offer is received and accepted. You are soon going to be a homeowner. How do you feel? I feel great. I have a hope, expectation that things are going to be good. The date has been set for you to retire. Retire? Yeah. No more working for the man. It's going to be good. I'm going to go fishing more. I'm going to you know, hang out with my grandkids. There's a hope and expectation. But the problem is then life happens. And, and the team loses. It doesn't matter if you're on varsity because you never won. Or you flop in the play. Or, or you... You, your, your job isn't what you expected it to be, is it? Your, your wife doesn't do as much laundry as she promised to before you got married. And you smell all the time. Houses are work. And it's like a money pit. And, and kids stink. No, seriously, kids stink. And they're difficult. In retirement, you got a lot of time to, on your hands, and you just didn't know, you know, you didn't know it was going to be like this. 
Listen, you guys can consider this and take notes because you know what I'm talking about. You know what life looks like. If you place hope in any kind of your circumstances in life, you will always be disappointed. There's no perfect uh, semester. There's no perfect job. Maybe there's a good job, but there's no perfect job. There's no perfect spouse except for my wife, Grace. There's no perfect kids. Can I get a witness to testify? Some of you don't think so, but there's no perfect stuff. And if you place your, your, your confidence and your hope and your expectation in anything outside of God's hope for you, you're going to be disappointed. It's important for us to remember today and to consider these things, to, to, to reevaluate, recalibrate where we're placing our hope, what we're placing our confidence in, our expectations, so that we can live with hope in this time that can be very hope-challenged, if I can say that. I don't want to say hopeless. That sounds so terrible, but hope-challenged? Can we say that? Hope challenged. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Grace has a favorite quote that's not in the Bible, but it's still applicable. She used to say it like as a joke. She said, my life is a, per a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. It's a, it's a literary thing. I think Shakespeare or something, right? Something fancy. Okay, Anne of Green Gables, sorry, you know. <laughs> my life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. I can tell you that I can identify with this. My personality in the past, I have kind of, you know, not anymore because I'm hopeful now, okay? Don't judge me. In the past, I, I was kind of, a, kind of an Eeyore, you know? Kind of like a... Wish I could say yes, but I can't. More of a better luck next time, you know. Thanks for noticing me. Not really expecting in the, in the future, not expecting the best, not hoping for the best, but just kind of like, you know what, Lord, I know that you love me, but and I know that you say you have the best for me, but you'll probably give me some par, which I'm fine with. I'm fine with that, Lord. That's not the perspective that God wants us to have as his children. He wants us to revel in hope. He wants us to settle in hope. He wants us to be confident and secure in hope. I'll tell you a little story. I had the privilege and the honor to go to a seminar the last couple days in Denver. It's called the uh, Expositors Collective, and they invited me to come and to see what's happening, to be a part of it so that I can get involved, hopefully, in the future. And, and what it is is it's these, these uh, older men who have been teaching the Bible, older. You know what the age cutoff is for older men? 34. So they're like, you're 36. You can be a mentor. So I'm like, okay, yeah. So there's, there's these, you know, these men who have been teaching the word for a while, preaching and, and coming together and, and then gathering all these 18 to 34-year-olds and, and for us to be mentoring them and raising them up to preach the gospel. Isn't that cool? To be preparing the next generation so that we're not getting to the end, our retirement date, and saying, I wonder who's going to take over after I leave. Because sometimes that happens. I don't know if you know that or not, but it happens. 
So a bunch of these guys get together and say, let's raise up this group of men and, and, and help them teach them how to preach, how to teach the Bible so that we can have the next wave of men going out and, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was, it, was, it was a radical time. It was amazing. I loved it. But one thing that I also really like that you guys know about is what? I really like food. I don't know if you guys know that, but I love to eat. And whenever I go to a new place, I look up the best place there. Like, what's the best place? Like, when you go to Denver, this is where you got to go, you know? I'm not talking about, like, five stars or anything. I'm just talking about, like, good, you know, triple D, diners, drive-ins, and dives. So I go on Guy Fieri's site. I'm like, where to eat? Diners, drive So there's this place not too far from where we're meeting at the church there called Maria's Empanadas. You can block that out so I don't give any kind of undue recognition to anybody because anyway, we'll see. So I go down there. I'm like, ooh, this place is so good. They say these empanadas are better than the ones that you would get in Argentina. They're so good. So I'm looking at the video. I'm literally the night before making my plans. I'm salivating in bed. Like, I'm like, good night, babe. I'm going to sleep. And then I'm looking at empanadas all night. <laughs> oh, man, this is going to be so good. So the seminar ends, and I get a ride to, to the empanada place, and I get out of, of the car, and I'm walking up to it. You know, I'm all happy, got a little skip in my step, going to have me some empanadas. And right as I'm walking, I'm halfway on the sidewalk to the door. There's a guy locking the door, and he's trying not to make eye contact. You know, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I start banging on the door. Hey, 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 open up, man. Look at the sign on the door. It says 7 to 5. It is clearly 2.30, and I want an empanada. I've been looking forward to this. And, and he comes and he unlocks the door and he kind of just cracks. He doesn't know, but he's like, what? What do you want? I'm like, listen, do you have any empanadas left? I just want one. Don't throw it away. Give it to somebody that will eat it. He's like, look at the sign, bro, underneath what you're reading. And it says Saturdays, 7 to 2.30. I'm like, it's 2.40. First of all, you locked the door like eight minutes late. That's on you, and I didn't catch you for it, but come on. He's like, nope, sorry. Bam, locks the door. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's your illustration for today. I don't know if you like food as much as I do. Thankfully, by the grace of God, there was a really good burger joint next door. So, God is good. <laughs> Hope in him, and he will make your path straight. That's not how that verse goes, but you know what I'm saying. Hope. I want you guys to, to settle in hope today. I want you to think about hope. I want to think about how you feel right now and what are you hoping and are you hoping in the Lord? Are you trusting and expecting the best from him? Let's look at chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, starting in, in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. And if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. If you're a note taker, you're following along, you can, you can circle that there. Moreover, Paul just got done talking about how they should be behaving in church, right? That was the series we just finished. How they should be behaving in church. And, and the last part of the chapter that we looked at was the order of service and, and order in service. And now he's saying, moreover, with that in mind, in considering those things, let's move on to this hope that you need to be having and staying in right now. 
Then he says three things. He says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached. Hey, church, what's, what does the word gospel mean? Huh? Good news. He says, I declared the good news to you. And you guys receive good news like we talked about with those examples, hopefully semi-regularly. The good news. He says, I preached to you the good news. I told you the goodness and, and, and the favor that God has towards you. Not only did I tell you, but you received it. You received it. That's the first thing. Which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. Look at those three positions that we stand in the hope of God. Number one, you received it, which is what tense? Past tense. You received it. He says, remember, remember that this is something that you already received. I preached the good news to you. I preached the gospel to you and you received it. Number one, past tense. It's important for us to remember today. Second, what's the next uh, position or tense? Stand, right? You received by which you stand, which is what tense? Present today. Hey, you guys received it before. You're standing in it now. You need to continue to stand in it. What's the next tense? By which you are saved. Now, there is a salvation that, that happened in the past when you received, but there's also a sanctification process and a process of you being saved. And how we know that that's the tense that he's talking about, the future tense, you are being saved, we can see in the rest of that sentence right there. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And what he's saying is, listen, you can't say that you believe something. You can't say that you have hope in something. And you live in that way for some period of time. And then one day you just decide that you don't believe anymore. Or you don't hope anymore. That would mean that your previous faith in that would be in vain. What purpose did it have? Vanity. This is our first section. If you're taking notes again, we're going to look at three sections this morning. The first section being the received hope. The second section we can see is going to be about the confirmation of the resurrection, uh, stating what had happened in the past. And the last section that we're going to look at is going to be the result or the response to the hope that we've, we've received through Jesus Christ. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel that Paul says that he preached to them. Listen, this is what you guys heard. I preached the, the gospel to you of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins according to the scripture. Key word, sin. He died for your sins. You want to think about the good news? You want to think about where you're at right now? Consider what God has done for your sinful condition. Does anybody here struggle with sin? On a daily basis, on a daily basis. How about an, an hourly basis? 
Keep your hands up. How about a minute? How about a secondly? Secondy. Whatever. You know what I'm saying. Basis of seconds. Spoiler alert. If you're not struggling or dealing with your own sin, then you're struggling or dealing with somebody else's sin. But it's the same thing because of the fallen condition factor. We're all in a state of the fallen condition, the the fallen world. And, And you're always going to be struggling with the issue of sin. And sometimes it's good, even though we know and we talk about it all the time, it's good to be reminded, for Paul to remind the Corinthians and say, Jesus died for your sins. That's the gospel that I delivered to you that you received, that you stand to, that you, are, that you stand in, that you are saved by. Jesus Christ died for your sins, according to the scripture. And he was buried. His burial was part of the process of paying the penalty for your sins. What a glorious gospel. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Death could not hold Jesus. And this section particularly, consider this, this section particularly is talking about the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the hope. I'm the resurrection. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, when he says according to the scriptures, he's not talking about the New Testament that we're reading. They didn't even have the New Testament yet at that point. He's talking about the Old Testament, the Old Testament that you still have. And he says the Old Testament testified that Jesus Christ was going to come, die for your sins, be buried, and raised from the dead. That's what the Old Testament testifies. And that for us is good news, but he is going to raise from the dead. He's going to be resurrected. And here's a connection. We know that truth. Was Jesus Christ resurrected? Amen. The Corinthian church was not believing at this point that there was going to be a bodily resurrection from the grave, which is kind of sad. Who knows what the theology was at that time or what was happening, but Paul's trying to correct them now. And in correcting them about the resurrection, he's also correcting them about where their position should be in regards to hoping in God. Hope. Because our God is a God of the resurrection. You guys know that? Think about that. Write it down. Our God is the God of resurrection. And there's going to be things in your life that die that need to stay dead, okay? But there's gonna be other things in your life that die that by the grace and mercy and glory of God, he's going to bring back to life. He's going to resurrect because he's the God of the resurrection. He's the God of life. He's the God of broken marriages. He's the God of broken souls and hearts. He's the God of restoration. And this is the hope that Paul needs us and wants us to, to understand today. That if we can hope in today, today, and tomorrow, eternity, today, if we can hope in tomorrow for the resurrections of our physical bodies, which is an, is an incredible thing to consider, we're going to look at in the third part of this series a few weeks from now. If we can have hope and expectation and look forward to that time, right? 
then what kind of hope and expectation can we have in, in the resurrection for God in our lives today? What do you need that hope for in the resurrection? What has died that you wish God could breathe back into life? Because if you ask him, he's faithful to hear. We don't know what the outcome will be or what the will of God is, but take heart and know this, that our God is the God of the resurrection. And if that doesn't give us hope, I don't know what should. Our God is the God of the resurrection. And he wants you to not just stand in this, this expectation of the resurrection of the physical body, but the resurrection of, of the things in your life that need to be brought back to life. And leave those things dead that need to, be, that need to stay dead. Don't even pray about them. Things of the flesh. Do I need to define? There are certain things in your life that, that need to stay dead. Just, just let, them, let them lay. Our God is the God of the resurrection. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, according to the scripture. Really, the, 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 the pinnacle, the crescendo of Christianity is the resurrection. This is why it's so important for the Corinthians to understand. And it's so important for us to dwell and, and settle down in that hope. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen also, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. What's an important thing to happen in life when you want to prove something to somebody? An important thing is that you have a witness, right? If it's a crime, you want somebody else to see, to, to have seen it and to be there and to testify that, that, that this is what happened. Paul's saying, I'm not on my own in this. This is not something that I came up with or conjured up or figured out. This is something that many people partook of. Cephas, you know, they knew. You guys know Cephas. He partook of, of, of witnessing the, the death, death and the resurrection of Jesus. Over 500, all these people, they're all witnesses. And the cool thing about being in a body of believers, like our church, is that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, you all. And some of you guys are going to go through difficulty sometime, and you're going to go through struggles, and it's going to be hard. And you've got somebody, a brother or a sister in the Lord, that can put their arm around you and say, listen, I am a witness of the goodness of God. I'm a witness that he brings dead things to life. I'm a witness and I can testify that he is for you and that, that he's not against you, that he loves you. As much as Paul could use those people as witnesses for his case, you have brothers and sisters who are sitting all around you this morning that can testify of the same goodness of God in their own life that we need to help and encourage each other with. Can I get a witness? Can somebody testify? Is God good for you guys? Can you take that goodness of God, the things that he resurrected in your life, can you take them and give them to somebody else? Because people are struggling right now. Things are difficult. And God wants you to be part of that cloud of witnesses, not in the Hebrew sense, but in the today sense. 
After that was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Do you notice that he uses the word, some have fallen asleep? Why do you think so? Because he's talking about the resurrection. He doesn't want to say some have died because they haven't died. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They lay down, they breathe their last breath, they take their first breath in eternity, and the day will come when that body will be resurrected from the dead. That body? That body. And we don't talk about that that often, do we? We think about angels and harps and fat little cherub babies with no diapers and, and, and clouds and, and playing and singing, Kumbaya, my Lord. You guys didn't know I could sing, huh? But that's not what heaven's about. Heaven is about the, the finality, the completion of God's restoration for mankind in totality. That means new heavens and new earth, but it's a restoration of what was before. That means you were born a certain way and now you're going to have a heavenly body. We're gonna talk about it in the third study, so I don't wanna get away from myself. But there's a tiny little seed that doesn't look like nothing. It gets placed in the ground. That's you now, fat little nasty seed placed in the ground. And then you're going to be a flower. Chubby seed, whatever. I don't, you know, don't get mad. (laughs) Some have fallen asleep, but they testified also. After that, he was seen by James then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. In the Greek, you could translate that as one born in trauma or a traumatic birth. Uh, Many commentators will translate it born through abortion, but lived. This is Paul's perspective of himself. He's like, I wasn't grouped in with the other guys. You know, the person that he lists right before himself is who? James the other apostles, but James was the brother of Jesus. And he says, then me, I came along. Why does Paul feel like that? Well, he says in the next verse. So our first section would be what was received, the good news that was received. The second section would be the hope of the resurrection, bodily speaking, and even, if I can say so for us, morally speaking, the resurrection of those things in our life that we need God's help with. And then this third section will be the result in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now don't raise your hands, okay? I mean, you can if you want to, but don't. Has anybody ever murdered anybody here? No. No, that's good. Because you didn't raise your hand, that's good. Because we don't want to know. I'm not talking about killing somebody or it was an accident or murder. Paul murdered people in the name of his religion and he never really fully got over it. He never really fully recovered. And he says, how is it that I, as a man, how is it that I can be considered and called by God when I did these horrible, wretched things? Some of us can identify and say, yeah, I've done really horrible, wretched things. But listen, the same thing that Paul says applies to you as well. I'm the least of the apostles, not that part, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You ever tell yourself that? Sometimes we need to remind ourselves who you are right now. 
Be confident in who God created you to be. Be confident in your gifts and your abilities. Be confident, listen, be confident in your personality. You know, I struggled in my life for a long time of, of who God made me to be. Kind of goofy, silly, people get turned off real easy because I tell jokes in bad taste. Not like coarse jesting bad taste, but just like that was a dumb joke and I don't want to be your friend anymore kind of bad taste, you know. And I struggled with that. Like, God, why did you make me such a goober? I want people to like me. I want to get along with people. So I would act, you know, I, I would try to be somebody who I wasn't. I would try to be somebody who I wasn't teaching the Bible. And I would try to be serious and not make any jokes and, 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 and be a good, you know, firm, hardline preacher of God's word. But then God ministered to me. He's like, Tim, you know what? Listen, I made you who you are because that's who I wanted you to be. Because I love you like that. And, and if I gave you the gift of humor, even if it's not as good as mine, it's bad humor, then that's okay. I made you to be who you are. So, so be okay with that. Be happy with that. Don't abuse or neglect it. But don't try to be somebody who you're not. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am who I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. What does Paul take confidence in, in his calling? Where does Paul consider and settle down in hope? In hope? Yes, in hope, in confidence, in expectation. He settles down in hope because of, what does he say? God's grace towards him. And so can you. God's grace towards you, you are who you are. We're not talking about your struggle with sin. We're talking about him creating you a certain way and loving you a certain way and having a purpose for you in that way. And Paul says, his, listen, take note of this, you guys. Look, he says, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Can I say that? Can I say, God, I have this hope that I've settled on. I'm okay with who I am, who you've made me to be. But can I say, God, your grace towards me is going to be not in vain. It's going to be to your benefit. See, but what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, if you want to follow along on the screen, he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And he could say that so emphatically because that's the experience that, God had, that, that Paul had with God through experiencing his grace. Where Paul thought his sin abounded to the greatest degree against God. His sin abounded against God's people and it abounded against God. And he said where, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And he says this level of grace that you've given me, I am not going to squander. I am not going to misuse. I am not going to abuse. This grace that you've given me will not be in vain, oh God. And I pray, and I hope that you would pray with me, that that would be the same position, the same perspective that I would have. Not that, okay, God, you've given me this grace so I can live how I want to live. Not, okay, God, you've given me this grace and this is what I should be doing, but I'm not going to do it. It's not a works-based mentality. It's just a response to the great abundance of grace that you've received from God. 
And you can say, God, I have not done this in vain. Look at what the next verse, the next part says. It was not in vain that you gave me this grace, but I labored more abundantly than they all. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, whether I was the one that preached the gospel to you or whether it was the other apostles or somebody else, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Such a bold statement. And we wonder why the majority of the New Testament was written by Paul the Apostle. And he didn't know that at this time. This is so exciting. Listen, Paul didn't know that we were going to be reading what he was saying right now. When he said, I labored more abundantly than everybody. Why did Paul labor more abundantly, more strenuously than anybody else? Why? Why? Because of God's grace. Is Because of God's grace, he says, I, because of your grace, I'm going to give 110% into this life. Again, it's not a response in works to God because Paul has to. It's a response of love to God because of God's grace that he's shown him. Because where sin abounds, grace much more. And where the life is touched by grace, the response should be a life filled with hope. Hope. And if there was anything that was exemplified through Paul's life, it was a life of hope. You don't get stoned in some town. I don't mean legalized marijuana, okay? You don't get stoned in some city and dragged out of the city and left for dead and get back up and walk back in the city to preach the gospel again. You don't, that doesn't happen to you if your life hasn't been altered by the grace of God. That doesn't happen to you if you don't have a message of hope to live. Paul says this message is so important that I will go to the ends of the world to preach it. I will labor more abundantly than them, than them all. The grace of God is our motivator to convey, to demonstrate, to offer the hope that God has for people. And if there's a message today, I believe, if there's a message today that the world needs to hear and that the world needs to receive is God's hope for them and the hope that they can partake of. Am I yelling too much? Sorry. I just want you to hope. I don't want you to be like Eeyore. He's cute and his tail falls off and it gets put back on, but you've got to be understanding from the beginning you've received good news, right? You've received good news, whether it be primarily the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be the things that God allows to come into your life and through your, your life, you've received good news you are going to partake in literally the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the body. And you partake in today, you you partake in now the resurrection of God in your life through various circumstances and situations that are inexplainable. And then lastly, the motivation shouldn't be doing things because we know that we should or doing things because we have to. But you have a hope. Do you have a hope? You have a hope. And whenever I have a hope, it's difficult not to share with people, you know? 
You have a hope that you can share with people and grace that you've received from God. So in closing, I want to ask you guys a couple questions I want you to think about and reflect in light of what we talked about this morning, what God had for us. Number one, do you have hope? And you know, in your heart of hearts, you know whether you do or not, but that question is not for anybody next to you. Or that question is just for you. Do you have hope? The next question, similar, should you have hope? You should. You should have hope because God loves you. What did we read at the end of chapter 13? Paul says that the, 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 the greatest is love that you would love, that you would learn that what, look, what love looks like. But, but make sure that you're, you've given yourself over to these three, faith, hope, and love. If you have genuine faith, then you, as a byproduct, will have hope. And if you have hope and you receive it, you stand in it, you're saved by that hope, then you will love. You'll be able to love. I don't think that he, he gave us that list, the progression, uh, for no reason. You've received it. You have faith. You, you, you stand. You stay in, in the hope. And you're able to love on a level that people around you, outside of the church, are not able to love. So if you answered yes to those questions, it's important to settle on these words today. Your takeaway, application for the week, if you want to jot these down. Number one, God has given us, God has given you good news. He's given you good news, no matter what way you cut it. You want to look at the downside, glass is half full, but really the glass is truly half empty. Half empty, I got that reversed. You look at it as a glass half empty, but God is showing you that the glass is half full. He wants you to have that hope. God has given us good news. Number two, God is the God who raises things from the dead. What are you struggling with right now? God is the God, the resurrection and the life who raises things from the dead. God's hope, number three, dwelling, settling, Living in God's hope will affect our lives and be shown. You guys know that? God's hope in your life will be manifested to others. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this hope that we've received through your son, Jesus Christ. That it's positionally for today, but it's also for tomorrow. That it's for eternity. And God, we ask that you would help us to love people like you loved, to, to stay in, to settle down on the hope that we have through the good news that we've received. 
It's not circumstantial. It's, it's not in passing. It's not something that's here today and God tomorrow, gone tomorrow. It is, it is eternal hope. It's forever. And God, we thank you for that word for our hearts today and pray that we would take it and give it to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I have to give you guys an opportunity this morning because of, uh, of the condition, the fallen condition factor. I don't know what, what you're going through or what's going on, but, but you're feeling a little hopeless maybe, that you're struggling a little bit with things that you're dealing with. And you could be in, in the more lack of hope or hopeless, and, and you really needed to hear this word today. If that's you this morning, I want to confirm that by praying with you. So if that's how you felt, you need the hope of God to be settled in your heart. You want to find yourself in that place. I want you to slip your hand up in the air so that I can pray for you. So you can have that hope. Because God wants it for you. He wants you to live in that hope. Anybody else? I see your hands, brothers and sisters. I see your hands. Father God, we lift up our hearts to you as high as our hands. And we offer them to you saying we don't want to be stuck in the mentality and mindset of this world. But we want to have hope in you for today and hope in you for tomorrow. Because you are good, we trust you, and you are the God that brings life from the dead. You are the God of the resurrection. And we want to live tomorrow in that mentality, with that mindset. We can't conjure this hope up in ourselves. It's a gift been given by your grace through your son, Jesus Christ. That we ask that you would settle in our hearts again, Lord. That you would, that you would work. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for answering our prayers pray that all the glory and honor from our response to the moving of your spirit would go to you. You are good. You alone. Thank you for your word and what you teach us in Jesus' name.